As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. She seems nice and the price is good. She told us she was a Christian and she goes to church. Gabriella Anderson. Gabriella Dawn Anderson. It's Gabriella Anderson from the day we met her. You've been telling people your name was Gabriella Anderson. That is not true. I'm thinking there must be something in her past she doesn't want us to know about. She's trying to escape something. What is your real name? That is not true. My what name a- is Dawn. Dawn what? I'm not telling Dawn you. Dawn what? I'm What's your last name? anybody. Feel like other people should at least know that she's lying about her identity. You can't just drop your kids off with someone that you don't know. A Waukesha child care provider faces a criminal charge for lying to police about her identity. Now, some of her longtime clients say she lied to them too. Today on Open Record, the pitfalls of hiring an unlicensed child care provider and the growing economic pressure in Wisconsin for parents to look for affordable options that could put their children at risk. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson here once again with my colleague, Amanda St. Hilaire. Good morning, Amanda. Hi, Brian. Today is Tuesday, October 13th. As of this morning, the Wisconsin Department of Children and Families lists 298 child care providers across the state who've been found to be operating illegally and ordered to stop. And we're going to talk about one of them in particular today. But first, Brian, I think we should talk about what it means for a child care provider to be operating illegally. Yeah, well, as you've reported on extensively, Amanda, Wisconsin licenses a few different types of child care providers from group child care centers like a commercial daycare that cares for at least nine children, usually many more than that. That's one type. There are also mostly seasonal day camps that require their own type of license. What we're going to be talking about today, though, are family child care providers who typically operate out of their own homes and care for anywhere from four to eight children. Now, in Wisconsin, under state law, you don't need a license if you're caring for three or fewer children who are not related to you. Four is the magic number that requires licensing and all of the safety checks and requirements that come along with that. So in many cases, when the state finds out about an in-home family provider who's caring for more than three children without a license, they will issue an order to stop unless or until they apply for and are granted a state license. And we should note that these family child care providers are what the State Department of Children and Families, it considers the key to unlocking some of the child care problems in Wisconsin. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But it's also a family child care provider we're talking about today because of something highly unusual that a parent called to our attention. So, Brian, this tip got your attention right away. What was it about it that piqued your interest? In the realm of child care, hearing that there might be a concern about conditions or that someone's caring for too many kids is not particularly uncommon. It's not common, though. It is unusual when someone says, I don't think my child care provider is 
who she says she is. And that's what happened here. We got a tip from a parent who'd been sending her two-year-old son to the same childcare provider since he was an infant. And all along, she had known this provider by one name, Gabriella Anderson. And she said she had no reason to really think otherwise. She was a sweet woman, soft-spoken, seemed to offer good care, seemed like the home was in, in good condition. She had a lot of toys, and that's uh, there was nothing really that stood out to her as huge red flags in terms of this individual being someone who wasn't trustworthy. But as our investigation reveals, Gabriella Anderson is not her name at all. What was her real name? The parents actually came to find out before they came to me that her real name is Dawn Astadio. And that was a name that uh, the first person who came to me, uh, Adrian Mayberry, um, and her two-year-old son, Ethan. She had never heard the name Dawn Astadio until very recently, and that's when she and other parents who'd been going to this provider started pulling their kids out of, uh, of their care. Because, again, you find out that the person watching your kids has been lying about who they are all along. That's a huge red flag and a concern that you've been turning your kid over to someone you didn't even know. What made the parents suspicious to begin with? And, you know, that's a really interesting question because uh, it, for each of the parents I talked to, and I interviewed three, um, two who'd been sending their kids to Don Astadio, the woman they knew as Gabriella Anderson, and one who was interviewing to send his kids there and became suspicious. And they each sounds like they came across sort of suspicious things in, in a little bit different ways. And the timeline is not entirely clear, but it all sort of started to happen this summer. Um, and, and in Adrian's case, again, she, she knew her as Gabriella Anderson. She said... There were some things that she thought were a, a bit unusual at times. She thought that uh, she was a little unclear about her own maybe past and where she had come from. She knew that the, she has a, a child of her own. The provider had a child of her own. And her child, she presented as Gabriella Anderson. Also, that was a little unusual, that the mother and daughter would have the same first and last name. Um, it's a little more common that you would have maybe a junior situation with a male, a father and son, but for a mother and daughter to have the same name, a little unusual. She didn't find it to be enough of a red flag because she thought, well, she still seems like she's a nice woman who otherwise gives good care. Maybe she just had a thing as a single mom. She just wanted her daughter to have the same name. So she sort of looked past that. Interestingly enough, Adrian had at one point done some searching. Maybe she had done a reverse phone number search on the number that the woman she knew as Gabriella had given her. And she saw another name and the name was Don Kaminsky. But she looked past it thinking, well, maybe that's just a previous user of the phone number. Maybe that was the person who paid for the account. And she kind of looked past it and didn't think much of it. Obviously, in hindsight, she now wishes she had given it more attention. One of the other parents I talked to was a woman named Melissa Paul. Melissa also said there were some red flags that she felt the provider told tall tales. They weren't big things, but she told tales about herself that seemed maybe a little unusual or hard to believe. But again, she just thought maybe she wasn't a person who was very good in communicating with adults. Sometimes people are really good with kids. They're not as socially competent with adults. So she looked past some of that. And I'm not sure when Melissa became the most suspicious, but she said that last winter, in, the, in January of 2020, a couple of months uh, just for timing's sake before the pandemic really hit, uh, she remembers the childcare provider saying that her own daughter, Gabriella, had an ear infection or had pain in her ear and was crying a lot. And, and, and Melissa, as a mother, suggested she take her to the hospital. It sounds like she's got an ear infection. And she was surprised because the provider sounded like she didn't really know what an ear infection was. And she thought, well, someone who cares for small children really ought to know what an ear yeah, infection is and be familiar flag. with that. 
certainly. But she ended up going to the hospital and she came back a, a day or two later and described what had happened. And, and somehow in that conversation, it came up that police had been called. And Melissa wasn't really clear why or that she understood why police had been called. But again, she grew a little bit more concerned. And I'm not sure why it took another six months. But six months later, Melissa was able to identify uh, through whether it was her own background searches or whatever it might have been to identify the name Dawn Astadio and connect it to this provider. It's still not clear to me how she came up with that name. But when she did, she searched the name the, the correct name, Don Astadio, on CCAP and discovered that, coincidentally enough, she had just been charged with a crime for lying to police during that hospital visit back in January. And Melissa went to the Waukesha County Courthouse, pulled the records, read all about it, and then decided, I need to tell everybody else. So she went to one of the Facebook groups where Gabriella Anderson, as she was known, was advertising her services, and she started telling others, hey, this person is lying about who she is. And uh, so the word started to spread and people started to pull their kids out of Dawn Astadio's childcare service. That's around the time that Adrian came to us. But there was one more person involved, and that's Dan Goodman. Dan Goodman's a father of two, kids are two and four, and he was interviewing with Gabriella Anderson, as he knew her, to send his kids there. He came for an in-person visit. He thought that she was a bit evasive about her own identity, and he thought the, uh, the, the Gabriella Gabriella thing was a little bit strange. He also did a reverse search of the phone number and came up with the name Don Kaminsky, questioned her about it, and thought her answers were evasive. So Dan never sent his kids there, but completely separate from Melissa Paul, completely separate from Adrian Mayberry, he had concerns and raised them on one of these forums. So the word starts getting out that sort of the, the, the gig is up here. Gabriella Anderson is not who she says she is. And that's probably where it would have ended, but for the fact that they saw she was still out trying to recruit new clients. And this was after the state sent her a letter shutting her down. Yeah, and again, the timeline is a little questionable here because this, the, the, the criminal charge for lying to police came in January, or I'm sorry, the incident happened in January of 2020. The charge was not filed until July. Two weeks after the criminal charge was filed for lying about her identity, uh, and I, I want to talk more about how that came about in a moment, two weeks after that, the state issued an order saying she was operating in illegal childcare because she had... The parents tell me as many as nine or ten kids at one time, well over the limit of three to not be licensed. The state ultimately sent an inspector and found at least five on a given day, which is in violation, so they ordered her to stop. But well after that order, they saw she was continuing to not only see their own kids, but once they discovered the issues with her identity, she was continuing to try to recruit new families, and so they came to the Fox 6 investigators to say, can you find out who this woman really is or why she's been lying about her name and let other people know that this is going on. That's how this came to be an investigation we were working on. And before we get into what you found, Brian, I think this is a good time to talk about why the state of Wisconsin licenses child care if you're caring for four or more children that are not your own. So if if you have a babysitter come over to watch five children, they don't need a license, right? But the idea is if you are sending your children 
to someone's home and that person is watching four or more children not related to them, that number is where the state wants to make sure you're following different safety regulations because there are regulations in place for safety like child to teacher ratios and the way you have to handle prepared food so that people don't get sick and different cleanliness uh, regulations as well as making sure that you're actually keeping track of all those kids. And Wisconsin has a tool called Young Star where you can look up if someone is licensed but also see their past inspections. So as a parent, when I'm watching this story, I'm wondering, did these parents know from the beginning that she wasn't licensed? And if they did know, did they not have a problem with that? Has, has their thinking about that changed? Great question. And for each of the parents, the answer is a little bit different. First of all, the one answer that's the same is they all knew she wasn't licensed. And you'd say, well, then why? You know, that's on them. Why would they even consider someone who's not licensed? And we can talk a little bit more later on about sort of the economics of what's going on here. But child care, as you well know, as, as a mother uh, who's sending your, your daughter to child care, it's not cheap. It is not inexpensive. It's more than college tuition for an infant spot. It, and that's not that's not an overestimate. That's not an exaggeration. It's a, it's extremely expensive. And, uh, and so licensed group care... Uh, can be probably the most expensive care, but even in-home care is is very expensive, especially licensed quality care. And the slots are getting harder and harder to find. COVID has only made that worse. And again, we'll talk in more depth about that a little bit in, in just a few minutes. But when you consider that this is finding affordable, available childcare is so difficult, you have some parents who are willing to maybe take a little more of a risk with an unlicensed provider if they feel good about that person. They do the visit, they feel like they make a connection, they feel like they can trust that person, and it's something they can afford, they might be willing to take that risk. But this may be one of those sort of cautionary tales about when you do that, there are certain things that, there are risks that you take. Now, I wanna be clear. Gabriella Anderson, as she was known, Dawn Estadio, as we know she, she is, uh, the parents made no allegations that she offered substandard care that she had harmed their children in any way, that her home was unsafe, um, other than the fact that she was caring for far too many children, according to state uh, guidelines. If she was caring for nine or 10 at a time, and I, I was told by one of the parents that at least three of those were infants, three infants and, and five or six or seven other kids for one person, that's an awful lot to, to care for and to care for safely. Certainly that raises the question of were there potential hazards. But again, these parents say they had no complaints specifically about the care she was giving. There was one concern that maybe uh, one, one of the parents said uh, their their son uh, was staying up late at night because they felt he'd been napping during the day. And when they questioned her about it, she said, oh, well, you know, she really felt the kids need naps. And, and they now look back and see, well, yeah, she needed the kids to take naps because right. she was overwhelmed with the number of people she was watching. Again, though, nothing particularly safety related. But the uh, they, they knew going in she wasn't licensed. They felt this was something that was in the sweet spot of something they could afford. I think had they known she wasn't who she said she was, as they ultimately found out, they never would have done this in the first place because there's a real question about who are you sending your kids to? Can I trust this person? And trust is obviously paramount when you're turning over your own children to another person in their home. Uh, once they figured out that this person wasn't who she says she was, 
they wanted their kids out immediately. And, and I think in even more so because when they confronted her with that information, she didn't confess. It, it, I think one of the parents I talked to, Melissa Paul, had said, if she just said, you know what, here's the thing. I, I, I'm running from an abusive husband and I, I can't admit who I am. Here's, the, here's all the truth. Can you please keep this between us? Here's why I'm doing She said, I would have been okay with that. But instead, she was evasive and, and further continued to try to, to, to maintain the lie. And they said, that's just a breach of trust we can't, we can't stand for. Well, and that brings us to this next point, which is the parents started out by doing their own detective work. They brought it to you. You did some more digging. So did you find what reason was behind her going by different names and not being totally upfront about her past? Well, and you say different names, as we found, as we did discover, she's been known by as many as five different names in five different states. Now, it appears that most of those names are either her original maiden name or married names from previous relationships, which would be understandable and, 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 and typical. Um, the name Gabriella Anderson, however, is, is fabricated from whole cloth. That is not her name at all. And why she was using that here, that was really the thing I wanted to get to from the beginning. If you're lying about your name, there's some reason. Why? What are you running from, hiding from? And my concern was that, in fact, there may have been a situation where she was hiding from an abusive ex-partner. And we did find that there is an ex-husband. Actually, I shouldn't say an ex. It turns out that it is still her legally current husband and a strange husband. A strange husband. husband. A strange husband who is the father of her current child, the one she identified as also being named Gabriella. Um, he had lost his parental rights back in 2014 when the child was born uh, and tried to get them back. And we found an appellate decision in the state of Virginia uh, in which he tried to get those uh, uh, parental rights back and there's a, a mention in there that um, there had been no continued evidence of domestic violence, which obviously suggests there had been at one point. And I thought that might put the brakes on this story altogether. It's a tough spot. We want to let parents know who are looking to take their kids to a child care provider. This person is not who she says she is. She's lying about her identity and looking for more clients running an illegal child care. Right. Running a, a child care center that's been shut down. A, a child care center that's been shut down. On the other hand, we don't want to put someone at risk who is trying to hide from an abusive uh, ex-partner. Um, but along the way, we, we got found some information that in fact that ex-partner not only knows where she currently lives, but that in fact that she, uh, uh, Gabrielle, well, Dawn Astadio, would tell Waukesha police during the course of our investigation that they are on good terms, he makes regular visits, and they speak every weekend, and they left satisfied that the relationship between the two was was safe, was not a concern. So that made you feel better about moving forward with the story. Made us feel better about reporting it, but if, it still made me wonder, is that the only reason? You know, if he knows where she is, why does she need to lie about her identity? It still leaves that question, why are you lying about who you are if your ex-spouse knows exactly where you are, where to find you, and comes to visit on occasion? Uh, we did find one other thing. And uh, this goes deep in her background, but back several names ago, under the name Dawn Marie Kraft, uh, same date of birth, same social security number, according to the databases we searched, um, back in Florida, Lake County, Florida, uh, there, Dawn Marie Kraft was charged with and convicted of child abuse causing great bodily harm. Now that's 29 years ago, so that suggests there was another child along the way don't know the current state of that child, identity of that child, where that child is now as an adult, um, but she was charged with and ultimately convicted of, she pleaded no contest to child abuse. 
the case is so old that Lake County, Florida's court clerk called me and said, it it said he was embarrassed to tell me this, but they destroyed the file. There's no record of exactly what happened. Which is usually allowed under record retention schedules. Although he said he was, he was not, he, he felt that in, in certain types of cases, criminal cases in particular, child abuse cases, he didn't think records should ever be destroyed. It happened other, under a previous administration. He was going to be talking about changing these things in Lake County, Florida. Nonetheless, the records are gone. There was an indication that a law firm in Mississippi had requested these records about 11 years ago, 2009, um, which raised another question, why? Uh, I contacted that law firm to see if they had copies. They indicated there might have been some sort of a question about a child custody issue with another previous spouse um, that was never resolved, or that at least according to the records hadn't been resolved, but they didn't have a copy of the records they had requested either. They had destroyed those 11 years ago. Not uncommon that a law firm might destroy records that are 11 years old from a case that really didn't result in much. So we never have been able to find out what exactly happened in that case 29 years ago? Uh, what did she do that ultimately led her to be convicted of child abuse? Was there an abusive spouse in that situation and she was charged in concert with that person? Was she the sole actor? How severe was it? Again, the, the original charge was causing great bodily harm, not just uh, you know uh, maybe finding a couple of bruises, but there was something substantial. So. When you talk to parents who are sending their kids to a person who's lying about her identity and then they find that there is an old child abuse conviction from 29 years ago, that's an absolute no way. I'm never sending my kid to someone. Had they known that from the beginning, they never would have. And that highlights the danger of going to an unlicensed provider where there wasn't a background check performed. If the state of Wisconsin had been licensing Don Astadio, First of all, they would have verified her name is Dawn Astadio, not Gabriella Anderson. They would have run the background check and seen a prior conviction for child abuse, and presumably, if they're doing their jobs properly, I'm guessing they wouldn't have, have issued a license to that child care provider. So that's one of the reasons that when you're looking for care, a license matters. You know there's been, or at least you presume the state has done its job, and has done an appropriate background yeah, check. Yeah, there's been at least a little bit of vetting, and and that vetting isn't always perfect, right? You still have licensed child care providers who can have long histories of problematic inspections, but you when they're licensed, you can see those inspections, and that information is publicly available and, and easy to access. But I know that you mentioned the economics around this, and I do want to talk about that because... I, I think it's easy to forget in these situations if someone's listening and going, you know, well, kind of it, it's on the parents for sending their, their children to someone who's not licensed. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago on this podcast, the situation specifically in Wisconsin, but all over the country surrounding the cost of child care is really untenable for a lot of parents. It's gotten worse since COVID-19 because we're seeing child care providers and child care slots shrinking, specifically family child care providers. Because if you're a big center, you can have older kids as part of your center to help make up for how expensive it is to care for younger kids. If you're running child care out of your home, you're more limited in the number of children you're allowed to take on. It's harder to keep up with those costs. So we're seeing a lot of family care providers just disappearing. We're seeing those slots becoming harder to find, the wait lists getting longer, the costs going up. 
and the check you're writing is, you know, too expensive for you or, or maybe, you know, just enough where you can afford it, but barely, but it's not expensive enough for the provider to cover a lot of their costs. I'd like to know what Dawn or Gabriella or whatever we're going to call her was charging in comparison to what we typically see in Wisconsin, because I would imagine that for a parent to feel comfortable going to someone who wasn't licensed, that cost difference had to have been pretty substantial. That's what I gathered from the three people I talked to, the two that were going to her and the one who was in interviewing her and, and got a, a quote. Um, and, and I don't have the numbers in front of me. I recall one of the parents, Melissa Paul, saying that she was paying 125 a week for each kid. That's 250 a week for two kids. Um, and, and so it ends up being roughly a couple of grand a month. Uh, does that sound about right? I mean, you're more familiar with costs these days, but but if that's the case, that I think is substantially less than you would pay for a yeah. lot of licensed services. So if you're paying for, and it depends on the ages you're talking about, right? So if you're paying for an infant spot and you're looking at a, a child care center, you know, that group care we were talking about where it's typically in a bigger building, they're caring for nine or more, often many more children. If you're looking for an infant spot, um, in this area that's going to cost you upwards of $350 a week, usually. And by the way, the, these numbers aren't necessarily taking into account quality. So the state keeps track of averages of what these childcare slots cost, but it's not um, taking into account whether they've been rated five stars by the state, which is considered, you know, the best. So a lot of times, if you're paying for high-quality care, you're going to be closer to $400 a week for an infant spot, and that's in a center. Family care, if you're sending your child to someone's home, that tends to be less expensive, but you're still going to be paying more than $300 a week, typically, for an infant spot. Um, so to hear someone paying $25 a day, you know, where you're talking about paying less than $200 a week, if you're talking about an infant spot especially, that is a substantial cost difference. So cost is obviously the driving factor in this. And, and, and for many people, that is going to be uh, an insurmountable hurdle. You, you know, it would be nice to say that you could, you know, everyone should pay the premium for the best quality five-star care. For some people, that's not going to be realistic. And, and Dan Goodman uh, made this point to me because you asked an interesting question earlier, which is, have these parents changed their feelings about going to unlicensed providers? Uh, to Adrian Mayberry's point, she says yes. Um, she, she, you know, now looks back and thinks that that was uh, a, a mistake and something she wishes she'd taken a little more seriously. Melissa Paul said no. She said she still thinks unlicensed providers can provide great care, but you just need to do more homework. Dan Goodman had a similar take, which is, it's not that there aren't good unlicensed providers out there, and again, these are his words, but you've just got to do more homework and ask better questions. In his case, once he got the inkling that things were a little off with Gabriella Anderson, and then ultimately discovered that wasn't her name, when she wouldn't answer, who is Don Kaminsky, who your phone number comes back to, uh, and we didn't really talk about this here, but her response to that was not, well, I don't know who Don Kaminsky is, or, oh, that's a, an old name I used, or that's my former married name, or anything like that. Her response was, if you don't trust me, I don't think this is going to work. And he said, look, I mean, don't trust you. I'm just asking, do you know who this is? Ultimately, he said, okay, I need to see your driver's license. 
so I can see, you know, verify your identity. She had also made a number of claims about having a master's degree in uh, early childhood education, and he said that she sort of repeated that a number of times to a point where he became suspicious of it because he wasn't asking. Um, she seemed to sort of oversell that point. So he said, I'd like to see a copy of your master's degree. I'd like to see your driver's license. She immediately balked. Those are basic things that anyone should be doing. And I think what I discovered from some of these parents is there is this dance that's being done of, do you trust me? Do I trust you? And you don't want to hurt someone's feelings. These are your children. Yeah, I don't care whose feelings I hurt when it comes to the safety of my child. For the verification. Get the driver's license. Get the information. If you're going to, and I'm not recommending people go to unlicensed providers at all, but I know the reality is many are going to. Some are going to find this kind of care. They're going to seek it out. Find out, know how many kids are there. Don't guess. Who are you watching? How many on what days? Get the information. Do your homework. Don't trust that what they're telling you is the case. If you can afford a simple background check, do the background check. I mean, if you can afford daycare, quite frankly, at all, um, it might be worth the, the one-time cost to do a thorough background check. There are things you can do to at least increase the chances that you're not dealing with something like this where the person is lying about who they are. But in the end, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to resolve those questions of safety that uh, licensing uh, is meant to ensure. Right, because the licensing makes it easier to do your homework, right? So if they're licensed, you can look up if they've ever gotten letters from the state warning them or shutting them down. You can look up what their inspections are. You then have, there's basic information that needs to be on file that can help you ask your questions. And by the way, when you're asking those questions, do it in writing and get the responses in writing. Because in this case, having the the text messages and having some kind of trail really helped you figure out exactly what was going on in this situation, Brian. So I think having things in writing is, is especially important. But it's easy to say, well, you have to do your homework. It's a lot harder to do your homework when the person isn't licensed. Well, and I think there was a really, uh, there was an extra level of concern here because if you look at the state's list of illegally operated childcare providers, Don Astadio is listed there as one of them. One of the one of the 298 that have been ordered to stop operating within the past five years. That's how far the list goes back. And she'll stay on that list for five years. But it's under the name Don Astadio. And we know she wasn't representing herself by that name. It's one of the reasons I really wanted to do this story is I wanted people to see who she was, to hear. She does have a, a distinctive voice. It's a high-pitched voice. I wanted people to see and hear because there's nothing stopping her uh, from, you know, shutting down that service, coming up with a new name and operating under a different name. Don Astadio, if that's not the name that she uses, people aren't going to run that name and find that it comes back to an illegal child care provider. Uh, they're not going to find that it comes back to someone with a 29-year-old child abuse conviction. So the question becomes, where does she go next? And maybe, maybe she leaves Wisconsin altogether. We don't know. Maybe she stays right here. But if she tries to operate a service again under a false name, there's no defense of that if all you do is just ask for her name. Uh, and and if, she if, you, if other parents seek out an unlicensed provider, come across her and just trust her because she seems nice, they fall into potentially the same trap. Well, and I think this is a good time to talk about how Wisconsin has another loophole that unlicensed child care providers can take advantage of. It's one we reported on a couple years ago. And that is that you can essentially call yourself a private school. And by doing that, using 
a, a category that is not meant for child care providers. It's not meant for people who are taking care of young children. But if you call yourself a school, then you can essentially avoid anyone from the state checking up to make sure that you are following these safety regulations. And we did a story about that, about a huge child care center that was operating and calling itself a school and hadn't been inspected by the state for years. And the parents of that uh, who were sending their children to that child care center reacted pretty defensively because as a parent, you're seeing this as someone attacking your choice when they're reporting on this loophole and this child care provider not being licensed. But it's just another way to show that something can sound good, something can look good. And then as you do a little bit of digging, uh, you find out it's not exactly what it seems. The problem is doing that digging can be really hard when no one from the state is is tracking you. And it's easy to change your name and it's easy to do all kinds of things. There's one more thing I want to bring up here because I didn't have time to talk about it in the story, but I think it's worth pointing out because I know a lot of people who are searching for in-home childcare providers, they find them by looking on a Facebook group. Um, there are a lot of different Facebook groups that are de- dedicated to uh, various topics, but things like childcare service, babysitting, and there's one that uh, doesn't appear to be particularly active right now, but had been very recently called Waukesha Babysitters Club. And that is where Dan Goodman says that he encountered the woman who identified herself as Gabriella Anderson, advertising her services on, on this page. When he discovered the background, the current criminal charge she's facing, her correct identity, and some of the other uh, things of concern, he tried to post a, on, on that particular page that, hey, you've got someone here who's lying about who she is. He says, and he sent me the messages to back this up, he says the administrators of that page kicked him off the site. They said, we don't want this kind of drama here, and and sorry, you're out. He was trying to warn them that this provider was lying about who she is. I reached out to both of the listed administrators of that page, and I have not heard back from either of them. I was very clear about what story was we were working on and wanted to find out any information we could about what had happened and why they kicked the person out of the group who was trying to warn others that there might be a safety concern. And I bring that up because I think there are a lot of groups out there that uh, have very good purpose and it's a way to hook people up with childcare providers who are looking to fill slots and people who need a slot. Um, But if there's an assumption that, well, it's on a group page where there's administrators who must be vetting these people, they must know that they're okay because that's not necessarily the case. Uh, The administrator of a Facebook group is not doing the kind of vetting, if any at all, is not doing the kind of vetting that a state licensing agency would do. So I think I just want to be clear that just because someone is advertising on a private group page or public group page with administrators doesn't mean there's been any vetting whatsoever. Well, and Brian, I think your entire story is a good cautionary tale. It's certainly something that affects every parent who is looking for child care or who has child care and is maybe looking to switch. And it's the kind of thing we're going to continue covering as we bring you these twice-weekly episodes of Open Record. We're going through the COVID-19 pandemic, presidential election, police community relations, our investigations, and so much more. If there's a topic you want us to discuss, an issue you think we should investigate, please send us an email 
at fox6investigators at fox.com. You can send your emails to fox, the number six, investigators at fox.com. As always, thank you to the people who make this podcast possible, from producer Pete to editor Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and our executive producer, Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't done that already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Polson, And for Amanda St. Hilaire, we'll be back with our next regularly scheduled episode on Thursday. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car... Use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.